I want to talk today about a book called Philippians, the book of Philippians. For those that heard my last sermon, I, last time I spoke about Second Peter, and I did it in um, expositional style, where I actually, instead of coming in with a topic and see, okay, where does this topic appear in the Bible, instead I went into a book of the Bible and saw, okay, what does a book try to tell me instead of like going in with a topic? Do you see the difference? Um, and this has a, has a couple of benefits. Number one, the benefit is that's how we usually read the Bible. Unless we have a certain devotional that goes, like, goes, us, goes along a certain topic, when we read the Bible, we go to a page and we're like, what does that say? I don't know, <laughs> right? <laughs> or we do know and like it teaches us, right? So for me to go into the expositional style, hopefully it can help us draw out some new things that we maybe haven't seen before in a certain passage. Another benefit of doing expositional is it's a lot less likely that you read your own agenda into this Bible, right? It's very dangerous if we, if we come in with our own mindset into the Bible that we can manipulate it in some way or form. But if we just come into this like, okay, what does it teach me? It's a lot less likely that this happens and we can a lot more like focused on the book itself. And I love the book of Philippians. The reason why I started to read this, a couple of months ago, I, or during Thanksgiving actually, I was giving a devotion to the students um, about the peace verses, right? With prayer and thanksgiving, like pray to God. And he, the, peace, the God of peace will give you, like he will be with you. And then it said afterwards, like fix your thoughts on what's good and praiseworthy and excellence. And I was like, this is still about peace because there it says, and God will stay with you. So the first half of the verse was like, oh, it was about how to gain peace. The second half, it was about how to keep the peace and not go back. And I was like, oh, this is so awesome. And then I was like, I wonder how it connects to the rest of Philippians. Because if you remember, the, the books in the New Testament, they're epistles, they're letters. They're written as a whole thing to a certain community or sometimes to multiple communities as a round letter, right? As a traveling letter that one was passed on. Which means it all belongs together. It all fits together as a whole, right? Which means if we read these epistles, it's helpful to read them as a whole and understand them as a whole. Philippians is one of those letters. It has a lot of really awesome Bible verses. Right? You probably know at least one of those verses, right? For example, to, uh, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Or I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. And Philippians is full with these amazing Bible verses. But how do they all connect together? How does, what does Philippians as a whole say? And there's a, in Philippians 2, there's a poem written by Paul, and it's a beautiful poem. And today I want to go through one, only one of the themes. There's a, quite a few different themes that go through Philippians. But I want to go through one of the themes that stretch all the way through. And I want to especially highlight this poem that Paul is do, that he wrote in Philippians 2 and dissect it and see what does this poem say and how does it connect and what does Philippians try to teach us. There's some other things, like if you were to read, like I encourage you, Philippians is only four chapters, so you can read it this afternoon. 
right? It's it's not long. You can read it this afternoon if you wanted to. Like, read it through and see in one go what are some repeating themes that are going through. One of the things, for example, watch out for joy. There's a lot of joy that Paul is talking about in Philippians, but we're not focusing on that today. So, I'm going to give you a rough structure of it, and then we're going to go into the poem, and we're going to see how it fits together. Does this sound good? Awesome. Let me start with a prayer. Father, I want to thank you so much for your goodness. I want to thank you so much how much you love us, how much you care for us, and I pray that you now speak to us and that we will listen, that we are open with our hearts and our minds to see what you want to say to us today. In your holy name, amen. So, Philippians, the book of Philippians. I have a I have a rough structure for you so that you can understand, okay, how is Philippians roughly structured? I, I've written it out over here, at least the way that I see it. You may find a different structure, and that's also okay if you read through it. Sometimes structuring it out helps you because you can then see, okay, how do things link? It's a letter, so a letter has an introduction, right? Every letter has an introduction. Hello, this is from, this is for, and this is why I'm writing, these types of things. The Philippians is no different. Paul writes it to the, uh, to the Philippians, um, and he has a purpose for it, so we get an introduction. Then Paul's talking about his imprisonment, and this is already the, one of the reasons what, that we see why he's writing Philippians. It's because the Philippians were worried about him uh, because he's in prison, and he's trying to address that, okay? Then he goes into uh, quite a big topic about living like Christ. That is the part that includes the poem in Philippians, okay? And he's giving quite a lot of different examples of how we ought to live like Christ. Then the next part is he gives us three examples of how people that demonstrate that, Three actual practical examples that he saw in that time that lived with that same mindset. Then number five, he challenges the Philippians and through the Philippians also us to do the same. And then we have the final greetings and thanksgiving to end of the letter. Right? So... The introduction. What is Philippians about? If you remember, so in the introduction we read that it is by Paul and Timothy. It's a tiny bit weird because Philippians is actually written in the I perspective and later on he uses one of the examples. He uses actually Timothy in this third person. So it might be that Timothy maybe was scribe or he just gave some input to the letter, but it seems like Paul was the main author of the letter. Does that make sense? And he is writing to the Philippians. What do we know about them? Acts 16. Who, who can recall Acts 16? In Acts 16, Paul was trying to go on another mission trip. And he wants to go to Minor Asia at first. But the Holy Spirit tells him, no, don't come here. And Paul's like, oh, okay. So he walks somewhere else. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, don't, don't come here. It's like, oh, okay. So he tries to walk somewhere else. It's like the Holy Spirit, no, don't go here. It's like, where am I supposed to preach? And then he gets close to Europe, and he gets the stream of the Macedonian man, and he knows he's supposed to go into Greece, to Macedonia. That was the first time that the gospel was preached in Europe. Isn't this amazing? Because he was obedient to God and listening to him. And then he went, and that, that's where Philippi is. He went to the town of Philippi, and a lot of crazy things happened in there. He meets um, 
he starts a church with this lady called Lydia, um, and then there's this girl that follows him and says, oh, Jesus Christ is with you, Jesus Christ is with you, and he turns around and he rebukes a de demon. It's just like, what? what? Where did that come from? But he rebukes the demon. The demon leaves the girl, and the town's guard arrests Paul. They whip him. He's beaten up. He has bruises and cuts everywhere, and he gets to be thrown into the dungeon, which is a nasty place to be, especially if you cut and everything. You get infections. It's, it's really horrible. So the church that he just started in Philippi they were already in love with him. They were praying for him. And they were hoping that he gets released. And what does Paul do? He prays and he worships while he is in the dungeon. He worships God. And then the, the, the cell door opens. The guard thinks that he left, that Paul left. is about to kill himself. Paul's like, stop. We're still here. We didn't leave. He converts that guard member and his family and he goes then to the church, and the church thinks that they see a ghost because Paul is in prison, right? But no, God freed him. And Paul has a lot of fond memories with these people, right? He has a lot of fond memories. And he says in this, in this book of Philippians, So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in the defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and I long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. This church was dear to his heart. He cared for this church a lot. And he said because of two things. Number one, they joined the, the imprisonment with him, which means they probably faced similar things that he did. In, in Philippi, once they started to share the good news, which was the second thing, they as well went out and shared the good news about Jesus Christ. And they probably faced a similar hardship to Paul at that time. So he started to get a special connection to them, and he loves these people a lot. And in part of the introduction, we also see about what is the purpose of this letter. And I think I found this in verse 10. For I want you to understand what really matters, so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. He wants to help them understand what really matters. So, what does really matter? And with that, we're going to go to the next part. The next part is about Paul's imprisonment. And you're thinking, like, wasn't he just in prison in, in Philippi? Yes. <laughs> yes, yes. Paul has lived through a lot, if you didn't know. He has been shipwrecked multiple times. He had snake bites. He has been stoned a couple of times. That is essentially a death sentence. If people stone you, they try to kill you with stones, right? And he survived it multiple times. He has been in prison multiple times. He went through a lot. And now again, he's in prison in Rome this time, and it, he's under house arrest. So it's not as bad as it was in Philippi. It's not like he's in the middle of the d deepest dungeon. He's under house, house arrest because the Rome recognized, oh, he's actually a Roman citizen. We can't treat him like this, those Jews, right? So they treat him a tiny bit nicer. He still has to provide it for himself, right? He still needs to get food and water and all of these things. It's kind of a difficult while you're under house arrest. 
So that is where Philippi comes in. The church in Philippi, they get up a love offering and they send it to Paul through a man called Aphroditus. A man called Aphroditus goes to Paul. He actually gets sick and almost dies, and that's actually one of the examples that Paul mentions later on in the letter. But he goes to help Paul while he's in prison, and the church, they're worried about him. They're, they're hoping that Paul can get out of this. And this is what Paul tries to address here. And he says, and I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Wow! Paul is in prison and all he sees, all he focuses on is the good news get spread? He's not worried about his own well-being as long as other people get to hear about how amazing Jesus Christ is. He's so focused and, and he sees it as joy and he hopes and he sees that people are bold because of his imprisonment and he rejoices in it and he loves it. And this is crazy for me. When I'm like, when I'm like, oh, my, I'm gonna go to prison. Like, I would be worried about myself. But Paul is so, like, he's more worried about the people around. But he sees it as joy because he's reaching people like the palace guard that he wouldn't be able to reach without being in that location, without being in prisons. That is a crazy mindset. That is a crazy thought to me. And then Paul says, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ, as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. And this is one of the famous verses. For to me, living means to live for Christ, and dying is even better. But if I live... I can do more fruitful work for Christ. So I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. So this is crazy. Most people are right here. Most people are like, I don't want to die. I'm afraid of dying, right? Most people are like this, right? Like, do you agree? If you come to the understanding that death is not your final place, but you get to live with Jesus Christ, and you love him so much that's all you can think of. You get to the next place. You get to this place where you're like, actually, I'm going to be okay when I'm dying. Because I get to be with Jesus. So over here is like, okay, I'm afraid of dying. Over here is I love Jesus and I'm okay with dying. But Paul went one step further. He doesn't just love Jesus as much that he wants to be with him. He loves Jesus so much that he goes all the way back to I don't want to die. But not for me, but for the other people around me. That is crazy. He did a 360 turn right here. He went from I don't want to die to I love Jesus, I want to die. Actually, I don't want to die because I love Jesus. Right? He loves Jesus so, so much. And this is crazy. And for him, it's all about bringing honor to Christ. And I think, and this is the theme, one of the themes that I see all the way through Philippians is this mindset 
about is about bringing honor and glory to God. This attitude of it's all about God. And you can see it throughout all of Philippians. Fixing your thoughts. Have the same attitude as Christ. Have the mindset. He's talking about it the whole time in Philippians. And this is so crazy. And now we get to the poem. And I love the poem. When I discovered how deep this poem is, I, I was like, wow. And I, and, I, and I told Becca that, and Becca also was like, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> if you think about a poem, what do you think about? You think about some type of structure, right? Poem is usually connected to structure. I mean, yes, there is poems that are purposefully without structure, that try to go away from all the structure. But even that, hopefully, has the purpose to convey a message through the non-structureness, right? Because the structure is usually there to support the poem in some way. And when we think about the structure, we think about rhyme, we think about um, how the verses are laid out, how many syllables you have in each verse, you think about cadence and all of these different things, right? For biblical poetry, the structure might be slightly different than what we are used to, okay? And I want to show you what the stru underlying structure of this particular poem is, okay? So I'm going to read the poem first, and then I'm going to show you the structure of the, that is underlying the poem and what it brings out of the poem. So the poem, Paul introduces this. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. The same mindset, the same focus, right? We've talked about it. It's all about, all of Philippians is all about mindset and focus. And Paul says we must have the same mindset or the same attitude as Christ Jesus has. What is this mindset? Let's read. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's cross. That's half of it. Therefore, go and elevate, uh, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus Christ every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. This is beautiful, right? We, I guess we can see that on face level as well. It's maybe a time bit difficult to see, like, I guess, like, we could be like, okay, I guess this is a poem. Um, if you have certain Bible translations, they will actually format poems differently than most other things. If you read something like the King James, it just looks exactly the same, but certain other Bible translations, they will actually indent it and they will structure it by, by the verses and stuff like this, so you can recognize, oh, this is actually a poem that has been used here. And there's an underlying structure here, like I said, and the structure that I want to present to you is called chiasm. Everybody say chiasm. Chiasm. This is a repetition of similar ideas in the reverse sequence. So you might have a structure of A, B, C, and then you have a middle part, 
and then you have C, B, A. So the ideas A and A are the same ideas, B and B are the same ideas, C and C are the same ideas, and they go in the reverse order. And I, w and I want to show you that. So I've laid out on the screen over here how it, the whole poem in that form. So from the top left, if you go, if you go down, you go A, B, C, then down here in the middle is D. And we go back up, so you see that on the right side is 11, 10, 9, so we go back up, 9, 10, 11, to go into reverse order. And that way we have A and A, B and B, C and C aligned with one another, okay? So in verse 6 it says, Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Okay, so far so good. Then it says in verse 11, And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we have identity here. The first idea, A and A, is who is Jesus Christ? In the beginning of the poem he says he was God or he is God. And the very end he says he is Lord. Well, is he saying he is not God? Well, he's saying, so the verse, the the phrase used here, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, and also from 10, and every knee should bow, this is actually verbiage from Isaiah. I think Isaiah 42, but I might be mistaken. Um, and this is a directly a declaration to God that he is Lord, right? So since this has been now applied not to God, but to Jesus, we can apply Paul is saying, he is God, right? So far, so good. Next part, seven. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. Ten, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. This may be a time more difficult to see. What, are both of the, what links both of these things? And this idea of slave. What is the position of a slave? Right? That is the position of a slave. It's down below. And Jesus modeled it when he washed the feet. When he washed the feet, right? And then it says, every knee should bow. So it's a position of a slave that connects these two things. And at first, it's Jesus who puts himself into this position. And at the very end, it is everybody else that puts themselves into the position for Jesus. Do you see that link? Then verse 8, he humbled himself in obedience to God. And verse 9 says, therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names. So Jesus humbled himself and God elevated him. And then we have D, the central thing that has usually, is usually the core of the whole thing. And died a criminal's death on a cross. If you see the flow of this poem, Jesus starts off with, he is God, the highest of highest beings. And he puts himself into the position of a human, then to a slave, and then ultimately to a criminal on the cross. He has lowered himself more than anyone else has in this universe. But the cross is not just part of the down, going down, it's also the beginning of him being elevated. Because at the very bottom, dying a criminal's, 
on the like a criminal on the cross. That is also his enthronement because God elevated him and we worship him and we declare that he is God. He is Lord. And the cool thing is, if we're asking again, what was Jesus' mindset? Why did he do this? Not for himself, but to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus willingly went all the way down And yes, it's for our sake, right? The cross was for our sake. But that's not what this poem is about, okay? So this poem is not necessarily about it's for our sake because it's not being mentioned here, even though it's still true. But here in the poem, Paul is highlighting he did this to glorify God the Father. And I love the the wording here. Jesus did not want to cling to the equality with God. Does this remind you of somebody else in the Bible that did do that? All of humanity, starting with Adam and Eve. They were made in the image of God. The, the serpent came and deceived Adam and Eve and says, Oh, God, just, God doesn't want you to eat this fruit because he doesn't want you to be like him. We were made in his image. And Adam and Eve clung to that, and they, they wanted this, so they grabbed the fruit so they could be like God. Being deceived, it actually made us less like him. Because the nature of God, the nature of Jesus is that he would be willingly to give it up for our sake. And then in verse 7 it said, He gave up his divine privileges. Some translations say he emptied himself. It's dangerous to think here that Jesus became not divine anymore, that he's lost his divinity. And I don't think that this is what it's trying to say. I think what this is trying to say is, you know how a king can take off his crown and take off his garments and put the merchant's garments on and then go to the market and act like he's a merchant? He's still the king, right? He just now, as well, he looks like a merchant, so he can act also like a merchant in this instance. Right? He's not losing his kingship. Like, at any moment, he could be like, you, you're arrested. Right? And he has authority to say this because he is the king. Right? In the same way, Jesus put on a new identity on top of his divine identity. He was both God and he was human at the same time so that he could appear in a human form, he could schema in the human form. But I love this, I love this poem because it shows the willingness for Jesus to go all the way to, down, to endure the worst, dying an awful, brutal death on the cross for the glory of God. And if you think about what Paul is just going through, He has been in prison again. And Paul has been enduring so many awful things. But for him, all of this is worth it because his mind is fixated about God. Everything for him is about giving God glory. Everything for him is about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. The good news must go out. People must hear about him. It's all about that. 
And that is what's crazy to me, that even in hardship, that we can have this mindset. And Paul actually had so much joy in this time, despite the, his trouble. And that is so crazy to me. But I love this poem, and I love what this represents. The three examples that he gave are Timothy, Aphrodite, and then actually himself. Because in himself, in his, like, in his old times, he used to work for, like, like, to be with God, right? The old mindset was like, I need to work, I need to be good. But now he says he's counting it all as garbage so that he could gain Christ and become one with them. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. Again, it's about focusing and our mindset being all fixated on Christ. But then he says, I don't say that I have already achieved these things because no one of us has, right? No one of us has achieved this. And he, even he says he hasn't achieved this. Or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on to, the po po to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on it. This one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. Do you see? Focus, mindset, it's all about this. There's so much more in Philippians that I could go into, um, but it's New Year's Day. And I feel like people are tired. I want to go home. But um, there's so much more. And I really do encourage you, read Philippians. It's a quick read. But if you want to take more time, you will get more out of this, right? It's more time you take. Actually, I spent like over a month on this. And I could have still got more out of it if I spent more time. There's so much. Okay? But I want to come on with this conclusion. What is your mindset like? What are you focused on? I use this picture of a focus lens, a focal lens, that's the word. Because if you know how, this how these work, is you can say which things should be sharp in our pictures, right? You can rotate something, uh, uh, you can rotate the lens and it changes the distance of how the lens is from the, um, from the, where the power where the picture has been taken. And that changes what is sharp and what is blurry. You can, for example, have the foreground sharp and the background completely blurry, like you see it right over here in the picture. Everything in the background is blurry. Or you can do the opposite. Now, what are we focusing on? Are we focusing on the worries and the day-to-day -day things that we see every single day? Because if that's the case, we might not see, Jesus might be blurry in the background. But if we set our focus to Jesus, all we can see is Jesus. And all of these worries and all of our day-to-day -day issues, they, they are blurry. We can't see them anymore because Jesus is the focus. For Paul, it was all about living a life for Christ. And he wants us to do the same that does not mean all of us need to be pastors or evangelists or something like this. Actually, quite the opposite. All of us, the places that we are at, that is the places where we can glorify God. 
Whatever, whatever places we are at, that is where we can be a light for Jesus. We need doctors, teachers. We need construction workers. We need everything for God. And in those places that we can be a light and that people can see, oh, there's something different. This is an amazing story. I remember that um, um, a preacher that I seen a few years ago, and he was sharing how he used to not be um, a Christian. And there was this one worker with him. It was like manual labor. It was like even flattening metal and like with a hammer or something like this and he was like all the time he was all about Jesus and he was he never swore he said this guy never swore he never did anything of that and then at one point he was um they are flattening the metal and he had his hands out like this I'm going to show you And the guy was like, oh, he's, he's going he's gonna to hit his finger by his thumb by accident, right? And, and it did happen. And then he, he was like, oh, and then he's going to swear. I'm going to hear him swear for the, first, for the first time, right? And he does. He hits the hammer right square on his thumb. It does explode open. It's really nasty. It's like really bad. And the guy, in pain, he shouts out, Hallelujah! <laughs> And the guy was like, he still wouldn't swear? What? And that was the first step where he was curious about God. Where he was curious about who is this Jesus person that he keeps talking about. We can be a light wherever we are. It can take little things. I mean, this is a very brutal thing. But it can take little things that open somebody's eye and be like, huh. And we should hope and we should pray that Jesus will give us the boldness like Paul, to share the good news, like him. But we cannot do this if we're not focused on Jesus. We cannot do this if we're focused on everything else. So that's what I got out of Philippians. Let me pray while Ryan can come up for the last song. Father, I want to thank you for your goodness. I want to thank you so, for how much you love us, that you came down to this earth for us, that we can be in relationship with you, God. But Jesus, you didn't do this for yourself. You did it for our sake. And you did it for the glory of God. And you want us to imitate this. And I pray that, yes, this is a scary task. This is a scary ask. But I pray that you will give us boldness. That you give, will give us courage. That you will give us all the things that we need. And mainly, that you will help us to focus solely on you in every single circumstance of our lives. No matter if it's bad or good, if we are in prison or we are doing really, really great, Jesus, I pray that you will be the center of it all forever. And I pray that you speak to us about this in the coming days and weeks, that we can come grow close to you, Jesus. Pray all of this in your holy and gracious name. Amen.